This week's episode of This Is My Bourbon Podcast is brought to you by our very first sponsor, The Restillery. my bourbon podcast welcome back for another episode and so i have somebody as you can probably tell by her screaming into the <laughs> microphone <laughs> but uh, uh so so lucy's here for the bumpers on on this episode hello Hi, lucy. i'm lucy and this is perry's bourbon <laughs> podcast tonight <laughs> again i'm not sure why i continue to bring <laughs> these things but anyway so uh, I, I have a really interesting and fun episode this week with Trey Zoller, and yes, it is Zoller and not Zoller, like I said later in the episode, of Jefferson's. But I realized kind of halfway through it that I hadn't actually done my normal stuff, uh, like all the segments. So I brought Lucy on. Hello. Because I didn't have time to get anybody else on. <laughs> And you're funny. I'm so important. You are. You're important to me. So important to the bourbon community. Yes, you are. That's what it is. I'm invaluable to the bourbon community. (laughs) Well, anyway, to uh, kick things off, as we normally do, we are going to uh, do our newest segment, Flying Blind, where we try something we've either never had before or have had before and it's been a while it's it's really a very clear top or uh, uh, segment i probably never had it no you definitely haven't <laughs> and uh, this is uh, in in the spirit of this episode a liquor barn pick of jefferson's reserve and don't have a whole lot of information on it other than the fact that it is 90.2 proof and it's bottle number 93 so you were born yeah hey. how about that that's kind of the reason i got i got this particular bottle Lucy's shoving her nose into our, our tiny. Right up in it. <laughs> we have we have very tiny Heaven Hill Glen Cairns that we got uh, a couple weekends ago at the Heaven Hill Distillery. As big as my thumb. Wow. What do you think about the nose on this, Lucy? Very burny. That's Lucy's way of describing the alcohol on the nose. <laughs> you keep pulling your lip up. <laughs> That's the way I was taught at Bourbon and Beyond. Thank you very much. Bourbon and Beyond. And then what we went to? No. What did we go to? Oh, that was the Louisville thing. What was the thing we went to? Which thing? The big conference thing. So- Southern Whiskey Society? Yeah, that thing. Oh. <laughs> I was taught by a professional how to sniff bourbon, and Perry's being the noob and not doing it. I don't think I can. You get your lip and your nose up in there at the same time. I'm not getting a lot of burn on the nose, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> get a little banana, a little caramel. Mostly, mostly banana. Nutty, nutty. Everybody drink. Now there's a like a little hint of like nutmeg or something in there too. I said nutty. Well, fair enough. <laughs> so it probably goes to, goes without saying that this would pair well with the banana bread then. Or it cancel out the banana bread. Or and there would be no banana. flavor left. So, well, speaking of flavor, let's find out how this. <laughs> 
there is quite a bit of alcohol on the palate. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Definitely not my favorite. This was a lot better when I first opened it. I'll say that much. But yeah. I, I I still think it's good. It, it's very drinkable. And it kind of strikes me as something that would stand up better in a cocktail than neat. I think that it would actually function very well in a, in a Manhattan or something. It'd be great in Manhattan. Yeah. Because it does have some of those like cherry flavors that, you yeah, know. Yeah, the front of it is very fruity and then it gets nutty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like it the more I drink it, I'll say that much. I don't. Okay. <laughs> I don't tend to like straight bourbon. So. I, I know you don't. I'm sorry. Well, this is a just a kind of the way of getting the episode kicked off. So, uh, <laughs> uh, like I said, uh, interview with Trey Zoller is coming your way, and we are going to listen to that right now, aren't we, Lucy? Heck yeah, yes, we, we are. are. Here we go. Uh, so I have Trey Zoller sitting down with me. Um, from Jefferson's, and Trey, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you, you on, man. Thanks. Yeah, appreciate it. Um, you guys are celebrating in in the midst of celebrating your 20th anniversary. Absolutely. First Hard off, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> didn't know we'd get there. <laughs> um, for anybody who doesn't know, talk a little bit about the beginnings of the company and and where you guys kind of built from. Well, um, you know, we started, and I guess the background is uh, I grew up in a family that bourbon was just part of life. Everything that my grandmother cooked with you know, was doused in bourbon. We've got some heritage. My dad's uncle had a bourbon brand, Old Brownsboro. My eighth-generation grandmother is documented as the oldest woman involved in the American whiskey business. Wow. Um, she was arrested for moonshining and bootlegging in 1799. <laughs> so uh, my dad found the arrest records during some genealogy. And uh, Fred Minnick, uh, in his book, Whiskey Women, said that's the oldest one that they, they, they can document. So, that's incredible. You know, it was just all around, as it is with most people growing up in Kentucky. And uh, I moved to about half a dozen different places around the country. This was late 80s, early 90s, and there was really nothing, you know, as far as selection of bourbon, Jim Beam, Wild Turkey, maybe Maker's Mark. Right. And that was about it, um, which was surprising to me because, you know, growing up in Kentucky, it was everywhere and everybody drank it. But sure. Where I moved, that wasn't the case. I would come home for a Thanksgiving or Christmas and go past all these warehouses that I knew were chock full of bourbon that was evaporating off into nothing or being blended into a younger bourbon and wasn't being showcased. Right. At the same time, single malt scotches were taken off, and I thought that there was great opportunity because I had a very difficult time drinking single malt scotches, but I loved great <laughs> old bourbons. So I, I thought if we could just bottle some of this great Kentucky gold up and take it out, people would go you know, crazy for it, which wasn't necessarily the case. <laughs> it was uh, very difficult to give away. I think uh, I made 15000 the first year. Wow. After how much of an investment? Um, after, you know... By today's standard, a very, very small investment. Sure. But for me and for my dad, you know, it seemed like everything. You know, for me, quitting my job and taking all the money that I had saved, it was, you know, it was quite a risk. 
And, of course. Um, you know, it, it's, it would be kind of, somebody said recently, getting into the magazine business right now. Oof. You're in a dying industry, and oh, yeah, why get involved with an industry <laughs> that would have been on the decline for 30 years? Sure. Right? I thought there was potential. I thought that, you know, and looking at the history of bourbon, you know, it had... Uh, twice been king and did more than any other spirits around, and I thought that would come back again. I had no idea it would come back the way that it did. Right. But luckily for us, it has. So do you credit some form of foresight in 1998 to the ability to maintain this brand and to... Either foresight or being too dumb to know better. One (laughs) of the two. I'm not sure which, but um, it's kind of like... You wear the same pants for 20 years, they'll come back in style eventually. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know if that's kind of the same thing or not. So what kind of of a hand has your dad had in in all of this, too? Well, he and I started um, back in 1997, really. Uh, And he has a legal background. Mm -hmm. So initially, once he and I went around and found bourbon to purchase and we both found a line of bourbon that as soon as we drank we thought wow this is it and that was the the line that we started with our 15 year old jefferson's reserve at the time mm-hmm. um we we both created the packaging and uh kind of a plan to take it to market and he was really the back office guy he did all the legal work to get us registered in different states and you know, just get us up and going um where i was more on the road at the time sure what was your background pre-Jefferson's? Uh, I was in uh, medical distribution. Complete 180. Complete 180. <laughs> um, but, you know, same same type of principles, you know, especially when sure. you're going through the three-tier system. But, uh, you know, I was a bartender before that, but that was about as close as my background came to, to showing me how to, to make bourbon. Um, and it wasn't until we started buying up different small kind of esoteric lots of bourbon that mm-hmm. I started playing around with it. In the beginning, you know, we came out with Jefferson's Reserve, which we thought was very sophisticated and complex, and that's why we named it for Thomas Jefferson. Right. Our second brand was called Sam Houston. The brand, you know, the juice was much different. It was very big and bold and very a lot of rye, a lot of spice, and we named that for Sam Houston, who I think embodied that personality as well came out with something called Old Iron Skillet, then Jefferson's. And, um, you know, I couldn't keep coming out with different labels, or I didn't think that was the right path to go. But once I had these different lots of bourbons, I started playing around together and blending them together. Right. And I found that the whole was better than the parts. And I got more balance that way, more complexities, more flavors coming through. Sure. So do you feel like... The name Jefferson's was the one that people latched onto the most. Then, did you think that that was the most? Yeah, I thought that that was the one that had the best legs, sure. and um, we had the most success for it. Uh, Sam Houston, um, we really concentrated on trying to sell that to Texas mm-hmm. or in Texas, um, and it, as I said, it, it was a more aggressive style, which today is very much in vogue. But back in nineteen. 19- sure. 98, it wasn't. So, um, you know, I, I thought we had something with the Jefferson's name and package, and um, we, we wanted just to expand that line. Sure. And today we've got, we've done over 18 different expressions of Jefferson's, 
16 of those 18, we do more than mo what most people do. So most bourbons are distilled, aged, cut to proof, and bottled. Right. So of those 18, only our Jefferson's 10-year-old rye and a couple of our presidentials, um, basically all we do is cut it to proof and bottle it. Besides sure. that, we're manipulating the process somewhere. You know, it, it's all about the maturation. I, I found out early on that all the distillers would tell me you know, 65 to 80% of what bourbon is comes from the maturation process. Right. And you know, in my mind, and certainly when we started, the eight big distilleries that were making bourbon at the time had, again, in my mind, perfected the science of distillation. And they all make incredible juice, and they make it very consistently. But, you know, kind of the X factor is what happens once the maturation starts. Right. So I started messing around, and, and what we really do is put more time, money, and effort into the maturation. And that's manipulating it one way or the other, or trying to massage it one way or other to bring a specific flavor profile. And we're not trying to cheat the process or accelerate it. That's why we're always using mature bourbon before yeah. we do something else with it. Describe your palate. Describe what you tend to lean more towards in terms of bourbon I or think products it, that you release. It goes back to what you know, we started doing with was blending, and that's more balance and complexity. Um, you know, I'm not big on high-proof bourbons. I know that's very popular right now, yeah. that um, you know, people love to have a, a big, uh, you know, just a big-tasting bourbon. And, and I do like high-rise. Um, however, I like them balanced out a little bit. So I would say more rounded and complex mm -hmm. is... What my palate's more rounded and complex. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I want it balanced, and you know, it doesn't need to be sharp to get the flavors to come through. And I like a lot of secondary flavors to come through. You know, vanilla and caramel are you know, typically what people would say are most prevalent in bourbon. Sure. But the spice from the rye is certainly as prevalent. But I really like leathers and toffees when they come out, and I like uh, honey and citrus flavors to come out. Yeah. What'd you cut your teeth on? Well, actually, my dad and I were talking about this yesterday. Yeah, I grew <laughs> up, he, yeah, there, we always had old fits at our house. Okay. Uh, and um, all right, yeah, old fits and strobes. <laughs> so I think I started stealing that from him at a young age. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was, um, that's probably was my first introduction to bourbon. Um, and then, by the time I was buying it myself, actually, Wild Turkey you know, was probably my first go-to as a kid. The the eighty or eighty-one no, or the one hundred and one? No, they didn't have eighty-one back then. It was one hundred and one. <laughs> well, I still consider one hundred and one to be one of the mainstays of it is. Of yeah, today. absolutely. Too. It's a great flavor profile and it's it's a great product. Um, and as I you know tell. Everybody, I'm not a distiller. I don't have a distilling background, and, and I don't have a lot of interest in that. You know, there's people that are incredible distillers, and I've always said, "What am I going to do? Out Jimmy Russell, Jimmy Russell? <laughs> and you're not going to do that." And good luck. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> you know, so it, not only you know, do you have his expertise, but you have the generations before him the millions of dollars in investment in technology and R&D that those companies have have had the fortitude to put together and, and really perfect what they're doing. Sure. 
And I think, too, that the one of the biggest parts of Turkey, too, is the fact that we can look at the Russell family. We can see where it's going in the future, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, his son Eddie is, you know, He's great. I was over. with him last weekend in Las Vegas, and, uh, you know, he, he's doing some fun things, and he, you know, he's, you know, he, he's pretty much a traditionalist, but he's certainly a step out further than his dad is. Sure. And then, you know, I know Bruce is coming in, and who yeah. knows where he'll take it. So do you see Jefferson's being, or do you envision Jefferson's being a family generations down yeah you know business. i would love it for it to be actually my dad and my son who's 13 have been, they're talking actually my son and daughter they're twins that are 13 are talking to my dad about doing a product um wow so who knows <laughs> and yeah I, I love taking them out to the distillery and trying to get them to work but do they seem to have year, oh yeah they're 13 year old kids they, sure. hate, they hate the smell of bourbon and the taste of it right now <laughs> <laughs> and um, that's fine. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that's I mean, good. But uh, I assume at some point. And the more time you can, you know, spend with them not drinking bourbon. The you got it. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. There's no encouragement. Um, I did have them out at a tasting event. This was about a year ago. And as I said, they, they show no interest in bourbon outwardly. But I put a tip jar out and let them explain the different bourbons to the customers. And I guess by osmosis, they knew, I mean, they were spot on. Wow. And once those dollars started coming in, <laughs> they started selling more and more. And I was pretty impressed with that. As soon as they saw something that could actually come from it. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Did they get to keep the tips? I'm curious. They, yeah. Okay. They kept the tips. Yeah, I want to keep them engaged. And I, and I, my daughter will work out at the gift shop from time to time, and I'll mm-hmm. have my son out, and you know, we'll have him out in the distillery hammering in bung holes or filling barrels. Or you know, he doesn't he doesn't care for it much. It's just work like doing any <laughs> other work right now. But uh, yeah, I, I'd love to see him get involved. Sure, sure. But whatever they want to do. Oh, of course, of course. So you, you said that you have 18 products in the Jefferson's line, correct? We produce 18 produce different products. 18. We're not producing all 18 at this time. Sure. Some of them come and go, and some of them will probably be shelved. But, yes, we've done 18. And, and as you also touched on, a lot of that has to do with innovation and different you know, takes on producing bourbon. What drove you to start wanting to expand into not just barreling, cutting, and bottling bourbon? Well, I think at the beginning, it was the opportunity to blend by having these different lots of bourbon. Sure. So that was just opportunity that, that smacked me in the face that I didn't think about when I was buying those. Um, and then it's kind of like peeling back a layer of the onion and something works this work then I can peel a couple more layers back or go push it in this direction and it should work based on what I've just learned sure so you know when we put barrels on the ocean for the first time and I put Newfield bourbon on my friend's ship it was gone for three and a half years and what came back was black in color <laughs> as thick as molasses it was absolutely delicious that really opened my mind up and you know, everybody had been aging bourbon the same way. Right. And my dad had become a bourbon historian in the last 20 years and he 
he's on his fourth edition of his book, Bourbon in Kentucky, and he's mm-hmm. written another book. And so I, I looked at him and looked, and he really focuses on pre-prohibition. That's where his interest really lies. But if you look at how bourbon really came to be, you know, people are aging it the way it is from practicality. You know, it didn't start off that way. People were shipping their, you know, they were distilling their excess corn and then shipping it the only way that you could ship it, and that was through the waterways. And, sure. You know, I, I did a an experiment two years ago where we reenacted how to take bourbon from Kentucky down the waterways to New Orleans and around the Straits of Florida and up the East Coast. And it, it took us four different boats. Um, it took us a year from the day that we took off to where it landed. We had to ship new barrels down to Key West and siphon the juice out of the old, bar- or the original barrels and sure. the new barrels. It was a big pain in the ass, and it was very, <laughs> very, very costly. But there's no doubt what landed in New York was so different than what was distilled and aged in Kentucky for the same amount of time, and we bottle it up this product that way where mm-hmm. you get to try one that went on that journey and one that aged for the same amount of time in Kentucky. Right. The one in Kentucky is, you know, it's one and a half year old distillate that's young and grassy and but the the one that was on the water is every bit as dark as a 16 year old bourbon. It's actually the smoothest bourbon I've ever drank. <laughs> you can still stay, taste the, the grains up front so it's still a little young but it's so superior than what was aged here. Sure. It, it makes, it explains why the people in New York or Philadelphia and Boston would pay some, so much more for right. the bourbon that came from Kentucky. Yeah. And in my mind, that's when whiskey changed to bourbon for the first time. Yeah. And that's what made, you know, when that demand came up and people would pay for it, distilleries got bigger and bigger here. Sure. And that's what made bourbon. Have you ever found an experiment that didn't pay off? Sure. Lots of them. Yeah? Yeah, I've got, you know, well, actually, we're filling another 48 um, experiments next week. I've got lots of experiments. Um, one that I did, uh, we took some barrels and, and did a number of different things to them. We had 13 different barrels um, after... 60 days, one of them tastes like a Werther's candy, an absolute butterscotch. Really? It was absolutely beautiful. And I thought, wow, this is, I was tasting these experiments every 30 days. It's great at 60 days. It's going to be exceptional at 90. Mm -hmm. By the time I tasted it at 90 days, it had totally turned and tastes like green wood. Jeez. Um, I got a couple of Tabasco barrels. Mm. It held Tabasco for over 40 years. And, um, by basically running bourbon through it because the first time I filled it up, it leaked right through it. We captured it in a tank, <laughs> put it through it again, leaked through it. The third time it had swollen enough to hold bourbon. And that would knock your socks off. I mean, <laughs> but I ended up diluting it eight barrels of typical bourbon in one barrel that it would burn. you there for one minute, but it's Perry, and I want to talk about our very first sponsor on This Is My Bourbon Podcast. How about that? So we are super excited to be teaming up with The Restillery. Um, This is a company that was founded by two guys, 
Uh, Davin Shaw is one of them. He is who reached out to us about uh, doing this sponsorship. We really do appreciate him and all that he is doing. So the Restillery is a company that takes old bourbon bottles and makes them into these beautiful lamps that you can use as a wonderful set piece in your home. Uh, Davin put together one lamp for me out of a Blanton's bottle, and it was on top of a bourbon barrel head and surrounded by the Blanton's cork, so it looks like the jockey's running around in the in the race. It's pretty cool. Uh, they also have currently their holiday charity event, uh, which you can learn more about over on Facebook. They're accepting donations uh, for a charity of your choosing should you win the contest that they are holding for the charity event. And it's pretty awesome. Uh, again, you can go check that out over on Facebook. want to give Davin and everybody over at the Restillery a huge thanks uh, for supporting the show and being our very first sponsor. And now, back to the interview. What has excited you the most about the products that Jefferson's is putting out? Well, our ocean, I think, is very different than anything that's out there. And what's exciting to me, we're on our 17th voyage. We're just about to get that back now. We send it out. Today, we're taking six- to eight-year-old bourbon, putting it on ships. It sails to 30 ports on five continents, crosses the equator four times. And even though it's going on basically the same route, depending on what time of year it takes off or what it encounters. Um, Like, I think Voyage 14 uh, just got pummeled in the North Atlantic by the worst hurricane season ever. Sure. And we get daily reports of what the the water uh, sea conditions are like and temperatures. When it comes back, it's like Christmas morning because I never know what to expect. One, we don't know how much evaporation. There's a lot more evaporation on the water. Like that one specifically, we lost well over 50% of the yield wow. due to evaporation. But that condensed it and made it much more briny than the other ones. So, you know, it's kind of a give-take. So that, to me, I love it. Each voyage is a little bit different. And when it comes back, you know, we all, first we put $20 on the barrel head and you know, push lines on the barrel and drill into it and try to find how much is evaporated. And then based on the criteria that we've gotten back, we kind of guess what it's going to taste like so those are always fun and then doing thing different things with the barrel have been you know different finishes have been great but different manipulations of bourbon barrels are a lot of fun for me sure well one of the manipulations that you have done is actually sitting on the table in front Mm -hmm. of us right now and that's the twin oak correct and uh if you, if you would like, I'd love to try it. Yeah, um, absolutely. With Let, you, too. Let's do it. This is actually the culmination of six years of experimentation with Independent Stave Company. Um, 2012 was Independent Stave Company's 100-year anniversary, and uh, they invited me down, and I became a barrel chef, but not at their Cooperage in Kentucky, at their headquarters in Missouri. And when I was a barrel chef, I was working with not bourbon barrels, but wine barrels. Mm-hmm. And I think they've got a dozen different cooperages around the country, or excuse me, around the world. 
and they've got expertise that they've accumulated over the last hundred years in different wines and spirits from around the world. And I saw what we were using in Kentucky is very rudimentary compared to all these other techniques. Sure. And I thought, why not bring some of those in? So we probably have done, I don't know, six or seven different, dozen different experiments where I've honed in to make a proprietary barrel, mm-hmm. which is a combination of seasoning, flash charring, toasting to bring out mocha flavors, grooving out the barrel to bring wave staves uh, that basically double the surface area to really impact the bourbon in a certain way. The mocha is very prominent on, on this, I would say, too. I feel I- I don't want to drink alone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I pour with you. So what, I, what we did with this is took 10-year-old bourbon, and it was only a four-month finishing process, okay. which is pretty small or pretty short for me, but that, that barrel just added so much. And as you said, the mocha really comes out. The viscosity on it, mm-hmm. it coats your tongue Absolutely. incredibly well. Especially for a 90-proof bourbon, 90.2 proof. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think that it drinks much a bigger. lot higher proof than it, it, it actually is and that is a very easy to drink enjoyable bourbon this is awesome thank you (laughs) you're welcome um and that's what i love about it it's you know to be able to get all those flavors out at a proof that's more manageable Mm -hmm. because the higher proofs burn your tongue out really quickly sure and this the more it opens up the more flavors that come out Mm -hmm. i love how it coats your tongue you get that you know Weight is a big thing for me. I really like a big weight on the bourbons. And, you know, as you said, it's flavorful but easy drinking. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is fan- I'm, I'm I'm a little blown away by how good this was. I mean, <laughs> honestly, I'm kind of taken aback by it. But. Steve Thompson, who put the Kentucky Artisan Distillery together, mm. or distillery, um, who's just a classic guy, you know, been around the business forever, ran all five of uh, Brown Foreman's distilleries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No bullshit tells it like it is. As he said, Trey, I think this is the best damn bourbon I've ever had, and I don't buy into all the marketing bullshit. This is just damn good bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> and hearing that from him, I thought was a great compliment. Sure, yeah. Well, what do you guys kind of have on the horizon then because this is your most recent product correct Mm -hmm. um and you know 20 years in i'm sure that you guys are kind of the wheels are turning a little bit faster and a little bit harder and you're thinking above and beyond what you've ever thought so what do you guys want to do or have planned for the future well we've got a lot of experiments in the works and what's great about having a lot of experiments if some don't work that's fine you know there's nothing that we've got to force through um we've had an idea that uh we well, we've got a couple. We've had one idea that uh, we narrowed it down to three different types of you know, kind of a finishing barrel for a product, and it really just blossomed after seven months in in these barrels. So now I'm ordering up a, a bunch of the barrels that we enjoyed, and I'll lay a number of those down for another. Seven, eight, nine months. It'll be a bit, little bit longer because you know, we're laying it down in the fall, so it'll be more dormant in sure. the winter. Um, but I'm very excited about that one. This, that project came out great. One that I can tell you about, I did something with Vivian Howard, who's a James Beard Award winning okay. chef. She's got a show called A Chef Life that won a Peabody Award. Mm-hmm. 
beautiful, just great human being. Um, cut her teeth up in New York, but she's from eastern North Carolina and was raised on a tobacco farm. And she wanted to bring some of North Carolina into Kentucky. And what we did was took some tobacco sticks that you hammer in, in the, the barns to cure tobacco oh, leaves. right. And they've been using the same ones for 70 years over and over. We steam cleaned them and then put them into, um, into a bourbon barrel. And it, it really, it took about eight, nine months for it to blossom. It, it really didn't get much impact. And then all of a sudden at once it just, <laughs> that tobacco <laughs> flavor exploded. Yeah. So uh, we're about to launch that and the, that's uh, that's been a great, really interesting product, and love those tobacco flavors that came out of it. Is that the uh, the next Chef's Collab, or is that um, yeah separate from? Yeah, it won't be called Chef's Collaboration, okay. but yes, that's what it is. Okay. Yeah, so I've had the benefit of working with some great chefs, Edward Lee, which yeah. you know is a good friend of mine, and now Vivian Howard. We're about to do a launch party on it, and I've got a couple other chefs, um, Angie Marr out of uh, the Beatrice Inn in New York. We're about to do something that uh, is going to be a lot of fun. So it's fun working. I really enjoy collaborating with people that are experts in different fields. They have a different perspective and a different angle on bourbon. Sure. And, uh, like a lot of people in the bourbon category, it's hard to see the forest through the trees because this is how it's been done. This is how you do it. Right. Um, but when you get, you know, I worked with one chef that, uh, you know, he's like, Trey, I would love to do this, but you can't do it. And I said, well, you couldn't do that, but you could do this. And he's like, wow, if you could do this, you could do it. it was like a zipper coming together like mm-hmm. so quickly. And it was something that I just never would have thought of. And it's just fun to have different perspectives on things. Sure. And then you build friendships with people like that that you work with and come up with with these deals. Um, Cyril Chapelet of Chapelet Vineyard, who owns the Pritchard Hill label, that, that was another one. That's, I love big Cabernets. I love yeah. the Pritchard Hill Cabernet that has so much black cherry and black currant mm-hmm. that actually comes through in our bourbon when we finish in his barrels. And you know, it's been great to form a great friendship with he and his wife, Blakesley, and uh, it's it, it, so it's just, it's a great way to experience life when you get to see how people in different industries think. I have to say, speaking of Pritchard's, by the way, the Pritchard's Hill finished bourbon that y'all put out is easily one of mine and my dad's favorite finished bourbons we've ever had. And I, I just think that y'all did something very right with, with that one. Thank you. Yeah. And that's, you know... As my dad, he calls it the elegant bourbon, <laughs> and uh, it, we said rounded earlier. I, I think that you know those fruit flavors round off that bourbon. The first few months that I put that, and what I do is I take the Pritchard Hill barrels and I put eight-year-old bourbon into them as soon as they're dumped, and we put them in hot boxes in Kentucky shipping containers. And the first thirty to sixty days, it almost tastes like a glass of Cabernet up front and then a shot of bourbon on the back. Sure. And we leave it in there 12 to 15 months, and it really allows molecules to come together. And it has the fruitiness of the bourbon, or excuse me, of the wine up front going into you know, all bourbon mid-palate, and then it just kind of rounds it off, and that fruit comes back on the end. And yeah. I love it. And to me, what's fun about that, when I don't drink bourbon, 
I like big Cabernets and big red wines and those flavors. You know, they're great combinations. Right. Yeah. And I, I have a friend who recently said that it's the perfect, like, if you don't know whether or not you want wine or you want bourbon, <laughs> yeah. it's the perfect, perfect combination balance, between yeah. those two. Yeah. And I'd say it's a perfect steakhouse bourbon, too, because if you like a big Absolutely. cab with a steak or a big bourbon with a steak, you got the, the best of both worlds. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, a couple more questions, and we're going to wrap up. Mm-hmm. But uh, I have to ask, and I love asking this of, uh, I, and you said you're not a master distiller. Um, I love asking this of, you know, people who are heavily involved with companies, founders, whatever it may be. If you're not drinking your product, bourbon-wise, what are you drinking? Well, is it still turkey? Is it still old fits? I, well, I, I like both of those products. Um, I like the, a lot of stuff coming out of Willits, awfully good. Um, I love some stuff out of Mitchner's. If there's Blanton's on a shelf and they don't have mine, I'll order that. <laughs> um, I think our Jefferson's Reserve is very similar to Blanton's in, in style. Um, and there's a lot of good bourbons out there. Yeah, no. I agree. Absolutely. And I think that you guys, too, have really kind of found your, you know, the home amongst everybody, too. And yeah, you know, again, what am I going to do? Out, out distill some of those great distillers. You can't do that. <laughs> and, but I've been blessed. You know, we will lay down a little over 8,000 barrels this year, and we're only making twenty two to 2,500 out of our distillery. Sure. You know, it increased a little bit. We just ordered more fer- uh, fermenters. But so I'm able to buy from some great distillers here in Kentucky, and it's taking their backbone, you know, that, that great right. foundation, right. And being able to man- manipulate it mm-hmm. to, you know, that's kind of my niche in this business. Sure. You know? Yeah. Well, last question, and we'll, we'll send you on your way. All right. Uh, first off, again, I have to say congratulations on 20 years. It's a huge feat. Where do you see Jefferson's in the next 20 years? Well, you know, my goal has been to make it a worldwide, really respect, respected brand. And, you know, I hope that's what we're able to do. Um, we're trying to lay more and more product down. I'm going to Vietnam in a couple of weeks and you know, hopefully get a little bit more of a, we're barely scratching the surface in Asia and hopefully being able to bring some product over there. And, um, you know, Hopefully, we'll have great product. It's known for its integrity and its quality. Sure. And its innovation. I think you guys are the innovator of bourbon right now, to well, say that much. And, and that's <laughs> that's fun to do. Sure. Know? So, um, you know, I don't think we certainly didn't set off to, to be that. And uh, it ended up Thomas Jefferson was a great name for it because... <laughs> He was such an innovator himself. Sure. But as I say, I've got ADD, so <laughs> it's hard to concentrate on one thing. So that's why I've got a lot of different things going on at once. Sure. Trey Zoli, thank you so much. For you got it. Appreciate it. About them and find out more of what they're all about, you can head to jeffersonsbourbon.com wherever you get your internets. I don't know. 
Anyway, uh, so <laughs> there's no review this week, um, and that's solely just because I didn't have uh, Jefferson's around to actually review. So we are going to launch into one of our best segments, funnest segments, tips and bits, where we recommend things. So Lucy, do you have any tips and bits this week? Yes, I do. Yeah? Yeah. Tell me. I recommend visiting the Pomegranate website or coming to the Pomegranate Incorporated Warehouse Sale this week, November 14th through the 17th. We have bourbon glasses. We have tea towels. We have tabletop. It's mostly feminine things, but we do have bourbon glasses. For, for clarity, that's actually next week. This episode's coming out in two days. Yeah. Get ready. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. The 14th through the 17th of November. Come to Pomegranate Inc. in Lexington, Kentucky. Yes. <laughs> 527 Lagonda Avenue. That's the one. Yep. Or just visit our website because we have bourbon glasses and cocktail napkins. So pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff indeed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've been watching a show on Netflix, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Yes. Yeah. It's really good. Very I'm, good. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, it's so much so that it made me want to go and read the comic books, and I'm they're they're very different the, from the from the books. Uh, there's a lot more gore and horror in in the books than there's, there is. There are more horrors in the books. Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the show is fantastic. It's not anything like the '90s sabrina the teenage witch no show. definitely it's not completely different except for the names of people that yeah that's, that's it that's about it that's pretty much it yeah um otherwise it's a fantastic show so i definitely recommend that that about does it for this week on this is my bourbon podcast lucy if people want to find you on social media where can they do that instagram facebook twitter um don't remember my handles but if you search lucy ritter you'll probably find me and if not, it's fine. You'll find me through Perry's stuff, probably. This is great. Yeah. This is quality quality podcasting yeah, right here. Probably Lucy B. Ritter, <laughs> LKIMP123 on Twitter, Lucy Bellamy Ritter on Facebook. I think that's about covers that's it. That's about it. Yeah. I'm on LinkedIn, but I never check it, so don't go there. I have a website, okay. LucyRitter.com. <laughs> see some of my see old design work, design work yeah. from college. Yeah. That, that's about it. Okay, great. Um, if you want to follow up, rush with me off. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> if you want to follow up with me? I am at pritter fourteen ninety two on social media. If you want to follow up with the show, uh, we are at my bourbon pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also check out all of our apparel and merchandise at bourbonshop.threadless.com. And I actually did that design work too. So you, know, hey. you can see some of that. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, you can also become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash podcast for as little as a dollar a month. That is probably the thing that helps us out the most, other than giving us a five-star rate and review on iTunes so that other people can see how much fun we have, how good the show is, and that way they want to listen more. So, yeah. uh, again, I want to say a huge thank you to Trey of Jefferson's for taking the time to hang out with me. Want to thank everybody at the Restillery for being our very first sponsor. I'm so excited about this. Uh, Lucy, thank you for 
filling in some of the gaps on this this week's episode. You're very welcome. Appreciate that. Yeah. Anytime. Yeah. Uh, next week, we're going to have a birthday celebration episode hey. for, for my dad. Hey. How about that? So uh, stay tuned for that. I know a couple of people who are going to be very excited to hear that. I, I will see you next week. I'll see you on Tuesday on my regular YouTube live stream. But until then, I'm Perry, and this is my bourbon podcast. You gonna continue screaming or? Ah! <laughs>